The Energy Transition Podcast takes you directly to the cutting edge of the global energy sector's shift, with a specific focus on the critical role played by oil and gas, as well as the pathways developing around a lower carbon future. Your hosts, Leslie Beyer, Energy Workforce and Technology Council CEO, and Dan Pickering, founder of Pickering Energy Partners, are joined by Josh Lowry, president of Upright Digital. Each episode engages industry thought leaders in an exploration of market-moving trends and topics, including new technologies, ESG, capital markets, inclusion and diversity, workforce innovation, regulatory influences, and the voice of the people. Join us as the Energy Transition Podcast looks at the state of the traditional energy and oil field service sectors emerging technologies, and the path ahead in a world of lower carbon energy development. Welcome to the Energy and Transition Podcast. My name is Josh Lowry. I'm coming to you live from the Fletch Azul Tequila Studio in Houston, Texas. I am joined, as always, with the co-host extraordinaire, Dan Pickering of Pickering Energy Partners. How are you, sir? I am great, Josh. How are you, man? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's been a, uh, we, the last time we were together was at Teams Fest, your Teams Fest in Austin, on stage. So we have a little bit of, we're in the studio right now. So it's kind of nice to have no studio audience in front of us. But uh, it's good to see you again. Likewise. You've been busy? It has been no shortage of things to do with all that's happening in the world of both energy transition and regular way energy. I know you've been busy. I have been. You were in, in Midland with 4,000 of your closest friends it's doing an right. event. We did. We threw the, uh, the Daniel Energy Partners uh, barbecue, which was a huge success. I ate a lot of food. Um, the, the party was so big that you, if you missed somebody to say hello, that was it. Yeah. It was a quick hello, and then they were done for the day. You there hope, was no circle back. There really just wasn't. You hoped you got five or ten seconds with them, and that was pretty much it. But it was a great success. Um, we, had, we had an awesome time, and a lot of your team was out there. So now we're, we've had – it's just been a lot of fun. Uh, the Teams Fest was awesome. I mean, that was – I've never done a podcast in front of that many people before, so that was enjoyable. Um, things were going well. And I got your note yesterday that you sent out, and it looks like there's a lot going on in the world to talk about. Exactly. Yeah. And, and we've got the perfect person with us to do that. Maynard Holt, founder and CEO of Veriton. Thank you for joining us, Maynard. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Josh. It's really fun to be with you guys. I feel like we're in the presence of greatness because Maynard has a very well-established energy podcast mm -hmm. called Close a Business Tuesday, but I think you shortened it to COBT. Well, we kind of go back and forth okay. keep them guessing. Okay. Occasionally, we have one on Thursday, so then it's just the T. Very wacky. And, and Maynard, where are you at now in terms of – you've got to be in your 100-plus I, I think the number is about, uh, about 160 yeah. over two, two and a half years or so. Yeah. So he's making us look like slackers. We do this, what, once a month, maybe twice a month? He does it once a week or more. Well, you know, I, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, you had this, this was something that you looked at and said there's a, there's a real value in doing these podcasts. And yeah. You focused on this as part of your plan with Veritin, correct? Yeah, it was, um, I mean, uh, Dan and I are obviously uh, lifelong buddies, at least half a life. And uh, at, at TPH, 
there were some really interesting things we could see happening, right? You could see all this technology and all these, and the technology ESG collision. You could see people, um, as we looked at the research menu, you could tell that people were like, well, I don't know if I'm really interested in, you know, another earnings analysis. I'm starting to get interested in technologies. And you could see, you could see people wanting the research menu to change. Uh, you could see that the, um, the method of delivery in the financial world was, was weighing on people, like another report, another one-inch thick banking book, you know, so we had kind of experimented with video. So we had all these little uh, trends that we were watching, and then, of course, COVID hits, and you're like, well, gosh, we got to find a way to communicate to all our friends who are stuck at home what we think is happening. And um, so actually, the, the funny story is the first time we tried it, it was a Monday. And uh, so Close of Business Monday never got off the ground because after we did, it was the Monday after the Russians and the Saudis had the big kerfluffle mm -hmm. and oil dropped, whatever it was, you know, 30 bucks or something on that Monday. It was so depressing. We said, okay, we can't send that out. Let's come back tomorrow. So we came back the next day. Sure enough, the market had bounced a little, so it became Close of Business Tuesday. But then we pretty quickly realized, well, geez, you know, we could use this to um, to interview people, to get smarter, and, and that's kind of how it got going. And then, honestly, it was fun. And, um, and so once a week, you could say, hey, I'm going to take a couple hours and just try to learn something, try to meet somebody new. So luckily, it is pretty fun, and um, we've been able to stick with it. Now, I, I listened to it, and I, your team gets involved with it as well, right? I mean, you guys... Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's uh, Mike Bradley, who a uh, longtime kind of market analyst, specialist. Uh, you know, he's got a, a foot in investors and a foot in kind of understanding how companies think. And so he's, and he's been, he's worked as an investor. So he has a mentality for, you know, the markets. So he's great at that. And then Colin Fenton is a, um, he was a commodity analyst uh, at JP Morgan and Goldman so he has a research mentality but it's very steeped in you know commodity markets so when he talks about oil prices or gas prices he's often talking about you know the futures market is saying this and then he's looking at all other kinds of stuff so we we started this um, those guys besides you know helping us everybody we're all in it together thinking about what's on the menu and what what would be interesting right now but those guys kind of steep <coughs> every day in a little bit of market um, seasoning, you know, so it kind of timestamps anything we're doing. And it's also interesting to see, particularly in the energy transition, some of these, you know, you might have an environmentalist or a politician or a technology person or, you know, everybody has their walk of life to see how they perceive some of those market things. Mm -hmm because at some level all of this is about how the markets are interacting with these strategies and these choices and so that's always kind of fun but it's a long way of saying josh yes we all get involved and um and yeah the the three of us have been the main kind of hosts if you will for for two I'll, and a half i'll give years. you one more plug on that actually i i listened to um i guess the most recent one uh Chris Wright was on it, but before the Chris Wright interview, and maybe that's not the most recent, there was a part in there about the London Metal Exchange, and they talked about, um, I'm, and I'm a steel guy, 
So to me, that, that clicked in as a way to look at something that I don't think a lot of people look at because if you mess up nickel prices, that messes up steel prices, that messes up flat, uh, fluid in prices, which messes up, you know, your, I mean, just the cycle of wherever yeah. that ends up. So I, I commend, you know, the research on that as a different way of thinking on, on the, the 10 steps to where that's actually going to affect an oil field service price down the road. You know, Colin is, um, is really good at going and finding like some little nugget somewhere in the system that's telling you some piece of information like we went through it a lot with inflation like inflation is it a problem is it not a problem is it transitory you know remember that those days they're hard to remember now and he would go find some piece in the system and say this thing is up 27 percent how can how can there be no inflation you know that kind of thing so he's quite good at that and it's always kind of that's a big one though because steel affects a lot of things yeah sure so well, let's. Sorry, sorry. I yeah, we we're we're stepping into the story before really kind of framing pre what the story is. Yeah, exactly. So um, <clears throat> that espresso hit me early. <laughs> as as you mentioned, Maynard, you and I have worked together for a long period of time at Tudor Pickering Holt. I was your agent at Goldman Sachs. Exactly. Exactly. At Goldman Sachs, I would bump into friends and say, "Hey, have you heard of Dan Pickering?" I'll have to, you know, I have to tell them I got two answers. I was like, have you heard of Dan Pickering in this morning note thing? And I would get one of two answers. One answer would be some executive would say, absolutely, I love it. I read the morning note every morning. The other answer would be, no, but can you, I, I don't get his morning note. Can you get me at it? People forget Dan was a cult. From, there we go. Not that you're not a cult <laughs> now. Yeah, exactly. But from 04 to 07, there was a there was a Pickering Energy Partners was a cult. Usually cults end up like in a burning. But a really good cult, not like a Georgetown, you know. There, there kind we of go. Cult. Yeah, no. There we go. They're well, really good they cult. end well. Yes. <laughs> enough. Enough about me, though. So. <laughs> I'm tired. Josh, tired I'm taking over this. You talk about me for a while. Um, so Maynard, take a step back. Tell us a little bit about you know. <clears throat> Oh. Give us the Maynard story. Where'd you grow oh, yeah. up? How'd you how'd you wind up here? And then you've got to help us with Veriton beyond. Sure. It's more than a podcast. So yeah, tell us about you. Tell us about your business. So so the me story I think is um, you know life largely spent um, below the Mason Dixon line. So I was uh, born in Knoxville. I trotted that out this weekend as my Alabama friends were texting with me but yeah I was born in Knoxville but I was really raised in Nashville and this is the old Nashville this is not the currently Today's. hippest place on the planet yes. Nashville this was the southern town that happened to have some country music uh, Nashville but you know where it's weird you can look back and you, you can see some of the seeds of what Nashville became uh, in the old Nashville but it it wasn't as exciting mm -hmm. when I grew up there and then I um, I finished high school, my parents were divorced, and I moved to Tulsa with my mom and finished high school there, which was a really fun experience. Um, and then from Tulsa, I came to Rice. And the interesting thing about my Rice choice, I remember saying to myself, well, I really like Rice, and Rice is interesting and all that, but I thought, you know, Houston is a great town. That wouldn't it be interesting if, or wouldn't it be a great idea if while I'm in college, I'm also investing in the town that I might want to live in? And the irony is, is then I graduated and I didn't think I really wanted to live in Houston. Um, 
and then the big punchline in my life after going to grad school and going to Goldman, uh, I'd been at Goldman about nine years when the team walked in one day and said, you know, we were thinking, I mean, you, Houston, wouldn't that be great? And I said, but, but I live here. You were living in and New York at the time? I was living in New York. And um, what I really remember that was funny is my wife's family, they asked her, they said, oh, boy, that's, <sighs> Kiss Maynard's moving to Houston. Suppose you'll go. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow, does your family view these things as optional? Of course you're going. Yeah. Anyway, so we moved to Houston, and uh, two of the kids were born in New York. Uh, the largest baby was born here, shocker. That's when we bought the Suburban. I was so excited. Mm -hmm. um, the largest baby. Yeah. Yeah. He was like a nine pounder or something. <laughs> you know. It better be a boy. And and I remember, you know, the the New York uh, the New York hospital maternity area was like you know the size of a closet, and the Houston one, I think, had like a, I don't know, a walk in Everything's kitchen. Everything bigger you know, Everything was amazing. Anyway. Um, and then, you know, the big moment professionally was kind of 06, 07, you know, meeting Dan and and having been in Houston and really getting to know the energy business in a different way than you could, I think, in living in New York, you know, because you never got away from it in Houston. You know, it, it was at the Little League field. It's it's everybody does it. And so I just started getting a lot of different ideas about how it could be done. Met this guy realized there was something really special happening at Pickering Energy Partners and of course Bobby and I had been friends so off we went on what was a wonderful professional adventure with Dan and Bobby. Um, so that's a long way of saying I guess that's me mm -hmm. uh, personally. Well, one, one thing before you go on, um, <clears throat> a well-known fact inside Maynard Circle, but not that well-known outside Maynard Circle, is that while at Goldman Sachs, he orchestrated oh, at the time geez. the world's largest hug or something like that. Now I'm going to have to pause and explain this. There's only nine stories that branch off of this one story. Um, <laughs> no, it's a funny story because um, at Goldman, uh, I, I grew up, Bobby would say the same thing. It was a great place to uh, come of age and had a great culture and it was um, just a really neat place. So in, uh, I think it was 99 or 2000, ironically enough, Rob Kaplan would get me involved in this, the, the former uh, chairman of the Dallas Fed, president of the Dallas Fed. They had an annual conference, like 3,000 bankers. And then they had a problem, which is almost like a closing dinner. Okay, after dinner, we need like, some entertainment so I got tapped for two years like hey you know maybe you should you seem like you have some personality maybe could you do this for us and when I was a kid maybe maybe a person in the 70s my brother and I just read I remember two books distinctly from the 70s the Guinness Book of World Records and the Book of Lists so I just thought well how could we get into the Guinness Book of Records and sure enough, there was a record for the world's largest hug, which was owned by a Canadian grammar school at about 560 kids or something. I thought, we got 3,000 people at this conference, no problem. So we did it. And, um, uh, you know, if, you've, if you pick up a copy of the 2001 or 2000 Guinness World Book Records, it's in there. It says Goldman Sachs Christmas Party, world's largest hug. 
There's a ton of stories off of this. Um, I'll Which give you my favorite one. Okay, I was I'll give say, you my favorite give one. Give this one, Maynard. So you remember this guy? Uh, there was a guy. I, I won't use his name because I'll probably get it wrong. But there was a guy who quit Goldman. It was like 2000, you know, 13, 14, you know, somewhere in there. And he quit, and he said he's quitting because he was, you know, just upset with the culture. He, he was frust frustrated with the culture. It, you know, it wasn't what it was. And so this guy writes this article, and he says, I mean, what is this guy talking about? Culture. You know, isn't this Wall Street? And then he researched, and he said, but, you know, sure enough, look at this. They had the world's, at one point, they had the world's largest hug. So they start trying to track me down, and I'm getting calls. And that was when I had, you know, I'd grown up a little bit. So I said, you know, I don't really need to talk to XYZ paper about the world's largest suck. But it came back, much as it's coming back exactly. here today. <laughs> it lives you forever. You can run, 2013, you can't hide. The New Yorker did a story on the hug, which is also quite funny. But um, there was something in that, which I know we're going to talk about today, which we cared a lot about at TPH, and which I think is a big issue for any company. Is just, you know, what's the culture of the place? And why do people laugh at themselves? And why do they communicate in a, in, a, in a way that helps the team win? And you know why do they enjoy going to work? And why do they not take the call from the headhunter? So there's a lot. Uh, the hug is a, a good branching off spot for some cultural conversation. It sure is. And ironically, probably you wouldn't be able to do that in today's uh, culture because a hug would be too much invasion of people's personal space. Well, we like did, that. yeah, I, I wouldn't. We did have a definition of a hug that we put on the screen before in the pre-hug. Ah. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was important there that we go. fulfill that the requirements. Sense. It had been, yes, yes. The best the part is there was a lady from Guinness actually there who could pronounce it the world's, I mean, it's one thing to set the record, but to be, you know, like right. yeah. she gave it to us right there. It was awesome. Right. Okay, so I think you didn't well, even I tell me no idea. what we're learning. You didn't, you didn't tell me you're going to ask no, me. No, that is fantastic. What we're learning, Josh, is we're going to have to be laser pinpointed on our Q and A with Maynard because it's going to go on forever. Or this is a four-hour podcast, <laughs> which would be fine. <laughs> That's how COBT works. Yeah, we've we've only got ninety minutes before know, you've got to get back to the office. It's funny. Um, Great start, but though. Veriton. Yeah. So oh, that's what we're we know. About? Yeah, yeah, we got there okay. eventually. But so, what's Bariton do? Yeah. So I think what we, um, I obviously uh, is planning for my retirement and and Bobby's from uh, from TPH, which we, you know, that was a lot of planning and and really wanted to do that as well as possible. Um, and I'm excited that I feel like we did. But but we had started that podcast there, mm -hmm. and and I had just said, gosh, you know, guys, I'd, I'd kind of like to keep that, um, be able to, you know, take the small team that's helping with that. Because I think, well, I guess what I saw in it, because um, it's not like we charged for it, we still don't charge for it, but I think what, what I would notice is... Um, particularly in these confusing energy, environmental, energy security. I mean, it's just gotten more and more complex every day. In that kind of world, uh, to find a really unique person and who has some sort of a visibility on some variable in that broad equation and to let them talk and, and then let them share and then just send it out. And then we would, of course, notice that 
a lot of really interesting people would hit reply mm-hmm. and say, hey, that, that was really cool. You know, did you know this? And you know, we'd say, no, we did not know that. So it was kind of one of those things where it was like for every guest we found, we found two more. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then it just kind of, and we noticed that when people weren't saying, uh, responding, uh, people were often saying, hey, thanks, I didn't know that. Like quite a lot of times people will say, uh, you know, this, this happened the other day, uh, oil and gas exec said, you know, I didn't really know the Environmental Defense Fund until you had them on. And then I felt like through that discussion, I got to know them. And then I showed it to the rest of our team and then we reached out to them. And so there's a lot of those things. So I guess the long and short of it is, I felt like, well, gosh, this creates value. I don't know exactly how to turn it into a business, but I know it creates value. That's the hard part. So we, we did spun it out, and, um, and then we're, we're having a lot of fun with it. It's the exact same format and exploring and all that. What we've tried to do as a, as a business is um, we've started thinking about investing. And so we have a small fund, um, and we look at things in this evolving energy world. Mm-hmm. And, and what I find fascinating about it is that um, – you know, you can think a lot about where the world is going and you can prognosticate and you can have these gut reactions like, oh, we're definitely going to use more nuclear or, oh, we should, you know, definitely stop doing this or whatever it is. But when you start looking at things as an investor, um, it gets real, real it fast. It gets real, real it? fast. And so then it provides some great feedback. Um, it's a f- nice feedback loop. Mm-hmm. And so the two things work together quite well. I think the thing that we, we've come up with two taglines at Veriton that uh, have stuck. The first one is, if you would like to save the world, you should start by saving the conversation. And that may sound a little, it sounds a little cheeky, but you know, we do have a pretty poor conversation mm-hmm. around energy, energy transition, energy security. We, we have a poor public dialogue around all that. And then when you start playing that through, that leads to um, poor policy, um, uh, poor investment decisions, and it has kind of, um, it's gotten us off into a place where, you know, my my unfortunate observation is that we haven't really helped the climate in the last couple of years. We've certainly- We being the industry. We the world. The world, okay. We have not really made the progress that, that we wanted to make, and I think it's because we we just had a really poor plan. And I think the poor plan came from a poor conversation. So I think that the first tagline we have is we've got to get back to basics and have, you know, like a normal meeting with all the constituents, you know, expressing their views and thinking about trade-offs and trying to solve for a normal way forward. The second one is uh, what, what is the energy world going to look like in 10 years? And this was another thing that, that happened. Uh, there in um, in the last handful of years, you know, s- being with boards and being with management teams is, you know, 2050 and and the and the pledges and and all, all of those commitments and all that that may have a purpose and you know it's it's kind of its own regime in a way, but it's not a planning device, and, and unfortunately, what it allows you to do is nothing. Right, because you can you can take the pledge, but then you know you don't have any. Well, hom- I'm done. Yeah, you don't I'm have any homework due this week. Right, and what's interesting about um, 
for some reason, I always think about college with the 2050 pledge. If they had told me on the first day of college, everything's due on the last day, I probably wouldn't have gotten a lot done for the first few years. So um, the, the tenure thing, what does the world look like in 10 years? Uh, we thought that was really interesting because that was the commercial reality we kept bumping into. Mm -hmm. Like that's a that's what a board or an endowment <coughs> or a long-term investor mm -hmm. or a policymaker you tend to think in that kind of time frame. And so it's a long way of saying, Dan, you asked about Veritan. We sort of see it as a you have this media-based think tank mm -hmm. type activity and you couple that with investing. And both sides of the house are asking, what does that look like in 10 years? Both sides of the house, meaning, meaning, meaning the media meaning, and the, yeah, the, media and and the, the investors. The, and the, the media part is really, you know, you don't associate media with like deep thinking, not to pick on the media, hmm. but um, what's interesting about the media and the ability to reach a lot of people is that it makes it really easy to find an expert and say, hey, would you talk to us? Mm -hmm. Because there's so many really amazing, smart people around the world and they, uh, you know, what we notice is they're willing to talk to us because it's like, oh, hey, well, you guys reach a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So as a result of having the media, you get to talk to a lot of people uh, that you would have had a hard time talking sure. to. So you, you get a lot smarter. You keep tabs on your, I mean, is your listener account in the gazillions or it's like 20 plus thousand and nice. so um and you know we have a lot of variety it's funny uh, f about a, a few months ago we asked for some feedback from our listeners and friends and such and just people we i should have asked you but you might have been too tough on me dan uh you know we have a lot of variety mm -hmm. so i think what you know what what some people find interesting you know they don't consistently right, right. It, some things just really get you going uh, more than others there's some that love it all when people ask who listens my best description of it is it's the kind of person who would listen to an energy podcast for an hour which is kind of a unique animal um but it's a long way of saying uh you, you do notice some are more popular than others but uh you know we reach a, a big group it's largely north america but it it ends up going i think at this point to like 65 countries or mm -hmm. something That's we're great. trying we, you know we just find that um we go an hour let's see other feedback is like wow is it long um and maynard's too nice that's the other feedback but i think maynard's too nice meaning i don't sometimes well you don't it's push like guys. you guys said on i'm pushing you yeah, yeah well yeah but i think what we've noticed is you know the problem with this energy stuff you know josh we were talking about it before so much of the world is aiming for the gotcha moment yeah. that they don't just let people talk. And so usually, even though we go an hour, it's kind of fascinating because you got to get warmed up. You got to talk about the markets. You got to do some niceties. You start getting into the basics. And at about minute 40, <laughs> it really gets <laughs> something happens. Yeah. And it's because someone's comfortable and they feel like, you know, saying, something really you know interesting so what does veritin stand for i mean the tr is okay. the latin truth i mean we we took we took veritas and put it with energy okay, so that's it's, what it it's truth in energy okay and i think sorry i'm talking to you guys you're off about it but what you'd notice i like it there's just not a place 
since everybody lives in their own little world, and then everybody talks their own book, so the nuclear person says this, the solar person says this, the oil and gas person says this, and it just goes on, and the offshore wind guy says this, and it just, you know, like that. Everybody, of course, talks from their perspective, but there's rarely an opportunity or a forum where someone says, hey, when you, can I just ask you, when you said, when you said you were, you were the cheapest alternative, can I just love you? <laughs> Do you mind just telling me kind of some of your key assumptions? And there just haven't been, there's really not a good forum for that stuff. I think, honestly, we're just motivated at some level by curiosity. Mm -hmm. We're just trying to understand, like, we're not trying to, there's no gotcha. There's no, it's just like, hey, we kind of have a societal global problem here. Can we just kind of, what, what should be the answer? Like, what should we be doing? And try to put aside the partisanship and the, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Maynard, you're, I'm stealing from your website a little bit, but I, I want to read it to frame my next question, which is your website basically says, Veridin strives to convene the brightest minds in and around energy in a civil, inclusive, and intellectually honest discussion to address the most pressing topics across the space. So that's the lead in. Very well written. Thank you. Um, we worked hard on that, Dan. Yes, that was probably three <laughs> days somewhere. <laughs> three days, ten people, <laughs> yes, four consultants. Yes, yeah. exactly. A couple marketing firms in there. But that leads to the question, is what do you think are the two or three most pressing things that need to be discussed right now? It's um, a great question. He, I, he's so good at this research. <laughs> I know. He's, he's on it. <laughs> he, um, I mean, Dan and his yellow pad, the guy's a force. I like your um, I think that the number one thing I think we need to lose as a global society is just the antagonism and negativity towards oil and gas. Like, it's not getting us anywhere. And, 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 and maybe it's easy, easy for me to say because, you know, I grew up in uh, professionally around oil and gas and like oil and gas so much, and, you know. But I think that antagonism has shown up in policy and it has uh, led people to make assumptions which weren't good, uh, to make plans which weren't good, uh, to believe data that wasn't um, complete. Like I think that single problem, that, that issue, I the us and them of that issue is, is the single biggest issue in this whole discussion. Mm -hmm. Like we gotta stop it, we have to stop. You know, like, like, you know, I'm never going to get asked to a congressional hearing, but you, you can't use the product and, and, and live and survive off the product and hate the people that give it to you. Like, we've just got to stop that. I think, I think the second one is, is the, um, they're sort of a, the, the <coughs> mania where we, ascribe everything to climate like we, we can't do that anymore because I think we're convincing people that that like we have to take action and we have to take it now and the real problem with that is it leads us to say well to heck with the national debt we yeah. just got to spend it to heck with this that and the other we just got to spend it to heck with the security implication like 
the mentality that it is it is urgent and the clock is ticking and, and we don't have time to slow down and make some of the best choices I think that's a that's one that we we need to lose I don't but know why we a, have that there's a balance though because you you also said if you were told when you were a college freshman that the exams are on the last day so I mean yeah. there's a balance between yeah. 2050 great and, point great and point. tomorrow I guess great you're point saying. this is a great point which would maybe you led me to number three. I don't know if it would have no. been number three, but number three is, um, you know, let's have, let's have a good, consistent, steady pace of progress, and let's let's hold ourselves accountable. Let's do make progress. Let's say whatever we do, we're going to make progress. You know, we we may not get there by this date or that date or the date after, but let's make progress. So that would mean. The U.S. government, for instance, needs to say, hey, all this money we're spending, this is this is what it got us. Mm-hmm. Or people really, I don't, because I think if you take a step back and you really can't talk too much about cost-benefit analysis seemingly anymore because we've started thinking that we just have so many resources we don't have to think that way. Mm-hmm. But when you really start getting back to cost-benefit analysis, I think you could solve the problems faster, yeah. cheaper. Uh, you know, you could do a lot of good. And just for some reason, we're not having a holistic, thoughtful, measured, what is everything we need to do? I mean, the thing I'm struck by, we've all worked in organizations. Think about our experience at TPH. If you're going to make a major, massive change in something, the first thing you have to have is buy-in from everybody it's going to affect. Mm-hmm. And neither side, and I mean, I've, there's all kinds of sides to this thing, but no one has slowed down and said, American people, here is the data, here are the issues, here are the choices, these are the trade-offs, um, here's the plan. So you can't get people to make big changes without without really understanding, like, what are we doing? What's the plan? And so I think that's another, I'll wrap up there, is, like, I think it's just, it's just not being done in a way that we usually do things when we're trying to do something significant. That is your, that is your counterpoint to point number two, though. What you just described is... The negative of point number two is sensationalism in the media, and there's yeah. nobody there to back it up. It's not helpful. It's and not helpful. Well, and here's my other observation that I find really striking. So, you know, we're energy people. Um, energy people find all this stuff really complicated, and this is what they do. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I don't know why I always think of this, but if I'm a dentist in Reno, maybe <laughs> a dentist in Reno is listening to this discussion. If I'm a dentist in Reno, we're how big the, with how the heck? Very. How the heck? Would I be supposed to, I mean, instinctively, everybody supports is pro-environment. Uh, instinctively, everybody wants reasonable cost. Instinctively, people want their power to work. Instinctively, no one wants a war. Like, you know, they have all these obvious basic instincts, but how that gets expressed in the voting booth, and then it goes to politicians, and then it comes back around as policy, like that, um, it's complicated for us, and we do it. 
And so um, that gets back to, I think, this conversation thing, which is we have to find a way to educate people better. We have to have a different process. We have to talk about things in, in a more measured way. Maynard, you said uh, we got to make. God, a I sound mature. Yeah, boy, <laughs> terrible. Like really? What happened? Ooh. This is the hug guy. You didn't. You didn't no, giggle. You, know. you didn't giggle one well, time. Well, there's one last one. Can I throw this in? Yes. This is my favorite example. Can you imagine if in the early '60s Kennedy had said, "We have to go to the moon. We have to get there by the end of the decade because if we don't, we're dead. There's no place to live." And. Um, by the way, the uh, aerospace companies don't want you involved. <laughs> uh, and also, let's solve 10 social issues while we're landing on the moon without the aerospace companies help. Like, so we have to, uh, again, if I ever have a congressional hearing, the first problem is this you know, oil and gas attitude when we all use it. The second problem is why, why are we all so negative? Like, why are we all so gloom and doom? Like, why are we all so, like, we have to have some optimism. We have to have some can-do. We have to have some, hey, we can figure this out. And there's just no, unfortunately, there's, a, I think, a lot of leaders to try to get stuff done and instead of appealing, you know, they appeal to this sense of, like, uh, if we don't act, you know. Fear. They appeal yep. to it, that fear side. Not, look, it's all sides involved to appeal sometimes to, a, to poor instincts. But it, we got to lose all that. We need the optimism. We need the realism about oil and gas. We need, we need to understand there are other issues. That's what the TV is telling us every day right now. So this thing has just got to get better uh, from a process standpoint. V very complicated. You said we got to make steady progress. Progress in what? Are we measuring it in temperature? Are we measuring it in dollars spent? Are we measuring yeah. What are we measuring? I, th I think you'd do a few things. Um, I, th I think you would um, one way you would measure it and I'm not going in any particular order but we need to stop having power outages mm -hmm. you, you got to have reliable so lack of negatives we need to, we need to eliminate we got to have reliable power that's one um, the second one is you, you've got to get it uh, you got to get the costs uh, under control right and that, that has everything to do with industry and jobs and people with lesser incomes and national competitiveness and so you've you've got to get the costs mm -hmm. under control but i think the third thing is you have to have i think a broad-based sense of environmental progress so you know i think one time sometimes I, I didn't really appreciate this but i i do believe there are people who you know for them the, the climate is the singular issue and um, I, I think we should be focused on it, but I don't think you can look past the issues of mining or disposal of certain things or, you know, like you've got to have a, I think we need a holistic environmental, we consistently strive to make a progress, water quality, air quality, et cetera. You know, I think the last part of this, Dan, and I should have mentioned this in the big picture observation, <coughs> is sometimes in the U.S. or Western energy transition discussion you i just feel like you can get lost in a in a sea of um of um, of the rhetoric and and if you pull back and you talk to developing country people 
you, you just kind of are reminded of the basics in life, which is you do want power, you do need it, uh, you do want a world without pollution, you don't want to be dependent on your neighbor, you do want to grow your economy, and you do have to have uh, energy and income and commerce and stable government. You do have to have all that if you're going to attack broadly your environment. And so I, I think we've got it. We're doing a terrible job of listening to the developing world about all this stuff. I think they're increasingly looking at us like you guys uh, are kind of being pretty arrogant. I was at a London conference a few weeks ago, and this guy, he's actually coming on COBT next week. But he was from, he was an African energy expert. And he said, you know, Europe is turning on every coal plant they can find. And I get it. But I can't get financing for a gas pipeline. So, like, you guys, w w it's either, the, like, what, what is it? What, what is really, so you can't be just you feel a certain way when it's, uh, right. it behooves you to feel that way. So I, I think we've got to do a better job um, around, you know, incremental progress is really important because while we sit here waiting for the magic bullet, the dirtiest coal plant in the world is still out there. You could replace it with a new, clean, new coal plant and people could have power. You know, we're so strident in some of these solutions that I think, generally speaking, we should be building stuff that makes things more dependable, makes them as reasonably cost as, uh, you know, reasonable expense as possible, and, you know, do make a positive environmental impact. So I, you know, I'm not telling you anything you guys don't feel every day, but I, there's a different way to do this, and it starts with leadership. And I don't notice, it, energy is complicated, but, you know, I was listening to Biden's speech today and... Uh, press The press conference Yeah, the press today. conference. And can you imagine if he had said, you know, I came into office determined to... Today is the 18th of October, just yeah, to so timestamp that. And, you know, I'd, look, it's easy to pick on any of these guys, but... If he'd said, you know, I came into office really determined. 19th. 19th of <laughs> yeah, October. 19th. You know, the days he, run together when said, you're doing a cool podcast. You know, we're having so much fun. But it's like if he'd said, you know, I came into office determined to really speed up the energy transition. In my administration, I, I feel like we, you know, we did the IRA. We, we've really tried, and I, I like what we've done. Uh, but it, it is, I'm going to call a timeout here because uh, we were going a little fast. Uh, and the world has been greatly complicated by this uh, Ukrainian tragedy and also our relations with the Saudis and the Chinese and a lot of other things are also complicating this. So I've been going really fast and honestly I think we need to slow down the program. And we're still going to get there and I'm really proud of the IRA but we're going to be doing things which make it easier to do oil and gas because we need to do those for our security, for costs, and I just uh, streamlined these permits. Uh, I just decided I'm waiving this. I've just directed, you know, there's a list of 10 or 15 of those things. Um, and that would be, you know, again, that's kind of maybe a little naive, but I think we need leadership. Instead, what did he say? Well, uh, he made, unfortunately, he talked about oil and gas companies, you know, making too much profit, uh, which is one of his solutions is to, for them to make less, which 
Not I, necessarily I, make less, but to use it to lower gasoline prices yeah. and, and reinvest. Yeah. Specifically gasoline prices. And then I think he said on the permitting thing, what we need to do is permit the green stuff, but he didn't mention permitting classic stuff. Um, you know, he mentioned the SPR. It, it wasn't terrible, but I think we all... Um, we all need to ask more of our leaders let me, let me on all question. sides of the aisle. They, they need to get better on this stuff. Your friend um, Bobby Tudor called it incumbent. You just called it classic. Is that the? Is that your? Yeah, I guess I'm probably you know growing up. Um, I remember. Um, I don't know if it's a classic Coke, new Coke analogy. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but you know, classic to me just says you know the one that's here. But okay. classic yeah, incumbent. Those to are good. Figure the, the words. He yeah. said incumbent. Classic equals incumbent. Yes. So Maynard, let's go from the, there's a lot of kind of high level things you talked about there. Yeah, I went full Kennedy school on the that is, for a That is okay. But now let's go down in the weeds practical, you're investing money. Yeah. So what are the kinds of things you're looking at or interested in or seeing that you think make a difference that, that you want to put money in? So the um, when we go through like a, 10-year outlook and try to really think about things that that do all those things um, you know natural gas and this is not new news but natural gas is awesome and you know why the world I, I get it the, I mean I get it but I don't get it the world continues to kind of hand ring over natural gas but natural gas is the only uh, outside of nuclear it's the only flavor that has done large-scale decarbonization and um, so things, anything branching off of the world using more natural gas, I think is, is really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and that could be everything from emissions monitoring. We've sort of seen a lot of that kind of stuff, but you know, it could be modular LNG, um, you know, who knows? I mean, we, we, there's a lot of natural gas out in the world. We probably in 10 years aren't putting as much of it on LNG ships. We're finding more of it. Uh, you know, on location, but I think natural gas is a great theme. We we really like nuclear. It's hard to find something so far to invest in around that theme, but we do really like it, and think it'll make a comeback. And think it's it probably won't be the nuclear that we all think about. It'll be the micro, the, the smaller stuff that looks really That's interesting. You know, the other one that is a really interesting thing, and it was probably one of the best episodes we ever had on COBT is, you know, in energy, there's always something that comes out of left field that, you know, shakes you up. And because uh, it's like, it, it just affects a different part of the equation. And so these guys came on from the Salk Institute. Mm -hmm. And um, so it was sort of a, um, uh, they were working hard on, on plants that simply, they looked at the characteristics of plants that absorb the most CO2. They tried to blend them together. And so they have a a, a plant that really captures more CO2, stores it more in the roots, doesn't give as much up when it when it dies, etc. And so, and if you look at it, the cost per ton of CO2 looks really reasonable compared yep. to some of these other options. So, nature-based stuff we haven't necessarily found, you know, the the magic thing there. But I think nature-based stuff is really uh, is really interesting. Mm. Um, I know. I think for us as a what Veritan does day to day is sort of shoot the seismic on the world. Like, wh wh where are we going? What's going to happen? Where, what's going to change? What are we missing? And, um, and then, of course, the, the fund is there kind of 
in case of great opportunity, break glass mm -hmm. and grab fund. Um, so I think you need to be careful in this new energy space, honestly, because, because? because there's a lot of capital uh, roaming around. Um, a, a lot of it not necessarily totally focused on making a return. So you can run into pockets of the new world where it's like, wow, there's a lot of capital here. And I'm not sure how much money it is or is not making. So I think you need to be really uh, pretty cautious because a, a lot of what we're doing now is exploration spending. You know, might this of, work? Yeah. yeah, the equivalent of. And so um, it's a really interesting space. So we're very deliberate about it. Um, but there's just a lot. There's so many factors. I think that's what's funny. At COBT, we try to limit ourselves <coughs> to things that could affect energy. So that's only 80% of, of life. I mean, you know, yeah. or so uh, there's so many factors that could come into play. Mm -hmm. What? Um, I'm sorry, Dan, you were looking for a good investment tip. And I didn't. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I was. You're like, and the company was, name is, yeah. what's their how website? Am I gonna be, yeah, how am I going to be a gazillionaire? <laughs> um, let's, let's shift gears a little bit. You spent a big portion of your career in the upstream oil and gas world. Yeah. Give us a snapshot there. You know, walk us, what's happening? What should happen? You know, so consolidation, I, I, dividends, cash yeah. flows. I think, um, I mean, I think, um, of course, there's all different sizes of, uh, of those companies, and that'll have a lot to do with their choices. But, I mean, I think it's a really fascinating thing that over the next two, three, four years, um, you know, oil and gas companies, I think, are going to do well. And it, you know, the space looks like a good space, right, to, 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 to make money. And the, quest the question of what they do with their money is mm -hmm. really interesting. Yep. And, um, and so I think you'll be thinking about the long term, you know, if you're one of those companies. And you'll be asking yourself about, you know, your investors always matter. And so what they're telling you will always be a big factor. And, and I don't expect the, the dividend and share repurchase and discipline model to go away because it's working. And, uh, and it's contributing to these companies being really healthy. So, but I do think um, you'll start to have some interesting choices, right? Like you'll start thinking like, well, um, we could invest in new technologies. You know, we could have the new division. We could invest in those technologies up to the point of just making us quote, cleaner, or we could invest in them well beyond that. Uh -huh. We could start a new division. And, um, and that will be an interesting thing for people to think about. Um, I think is the there, Is there any reason that a really profitable mid-sized oil and gas company shouldn't be planting a few little seeds like that? You know, if you're, if you're cash flowing $5 billion a year, shouldn't you spend $100 million of that on seedlings in energy uh, transition i think you yeah i think you should be you you should have a, you know part of the company that's very in tune with everything that's happening and what you might spend money on i think you do need that radar and i guess what we what i would say i probably notice is most companies have that and it's they have it in proportion to their size so yeah. the the two billion dollar company has three people the $10 billion company has 15 or, you know, whatever. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. So, um, I, th- I think that is what's happening. It's happening. I okay. think I think that's what's happening. Um, I mean, I think it's a, it's interesting for companies to. Uh, it's interesting for them to go out in the world and start making all those connections and to think about yeah. having their own venture capital effort and you know all that stuff is quite interesting for I, them. I, I'm sorry to cut you. Go ahead. No, mean? it's so it's structurally how you do it and what's the most effective way and who that group reports to and hearing from that bo- the board hearing from that group. There's a lot of interesting issues in there. I know you guys, Dan, deal with a lot of those groups. I just feel like that's one of the main purposes of this podcast actually is to translate these ideas to a, you know, a traditional um, classic uh, oil field, oil and gas listener that's like, why should I care about energy and transition? Yeah. What is there? Because these are trusted people that they've known for 20 years kind of in this new segment. I feel like that's part of our role there. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. Mayor, what does, so adding on to that, one of the things that's interesting to me is that my perception, tell me if you agree or not, my perception is that those groups within the oil and gas companies, that's where everybody's trying to get to, right? That's where folks are like, I want to stint in new ventures. I want to stint in this business. Does that should we be scared about that, or should we embrace it, or yeah. is wait, it wait, inevitable? You, you think that people within the big companies are trying to get to that small team? Want to be in that group? Yeah, I, yeah. I think it's um, I think it's a. Uh, to me, that's sort of like a, a not necessarily. Okay. Right? Well, well, it used to surprise me at TPH. You know, periodically you'd meet a young person. We had a really talented uh, young analyst who said uh, to me one day, "I like, I like." Big balance sheets, big cash flows, and um, fulsome balance sheets. <laughs> so I like oil and gas and midstream. So I think sometimes we, it really surprised me because you do naturally assume that the young and the, mm-hmm. that everybody's kind of going in the, in the direction of the new, new thing. Um, I think when companies have an interesting uh, goal, and th- this kind of gets to culture and how people do these things, how you talk about that group internally and how even if there are only 10 people in that group you somehow have the whole company involved and you've kind of stirred up people and everybody's thinking and you understand what you're trying to do i think that's a really fascinating harness challenge the organization yeah right? and i i notice uh, energy ceos sometimes because we'll go you know speak at a lunch or you know, you kind of uh, just part of some of these gatherings. And and for an energy CEO right now, you, you somehow, classic again, Josh, you got to s- sort of get everybody really fired up for what you do. Like, forget about what we're might, do, might be doing. You got to get them fired up for what you do, why it's great, why it's awesome, why you should feel proud about it, why at the Thanksgiving table when you're, New England relatives give you a hard time why you say no let me tell you why you have it wrong on fracking so you got to fire up you got to fire them up like that and then you got to say and by the way we're not asleep you know we're not we're thinking we got this group and I want everybody thinking and if something hits you you know so how that group because if you do it wrong those kids are like the teacher's pet everyone they're like teacher's pets and you know it's right. like you know then you get that situation not not to pick on Ford but it looks like if you work in the ice division, you just make cash flow and send it to the right. you know the electric the vehicle guys. people, and yep. they 
you imagine they have special jackets and you know like <laughs> so but that you know so somehow uh it is really fascinating the other thing i'd say about companies that's really interesting is as you tackle these issues like uh, hydrogen or pick an issue you know c- companies tend to say well okay uh we need josh uh, we need to under- josh you're in charge of hydrogen okay josh and you, you got to do a hydrogen task force and you know and you kind of do like that and you want to have a nice crisp orderly thing well maybe josh is not really interested in hydrogen you know maybe josh is the wrong guy or, or maybe josh, whatever you kind of want to say dear company this is the leadership we need somebody to study hydrogen who out there is really interested and there's somebody somewhere in a remote part of the company who stays up late at night reading about hydrogen and you need that person on your task force does does someone actually do that, Maynard? Does I, I, anyone stay up late <laughs> reading about hydrogen? I, I, I do. I, I think if you Josh, know, if you've seen Reddit, you know that they do. So anyway, my point is, you you know how you communicate, how you rally people, what you tell them about the importance of their job, why you tell them it's meaningful, how you hook them together with incentives, what you explain the new group is doing, why people can rotate through there, why we're all on the same team. I mean, these are big issues. I think for companies going through a lot of change. And you're going to have to be willing to make a mistake and be willing to just say, I don't know, and stay really flexible because, I mean, can you guys really imagine right now the world's changing five times a week to talk about 10 years from now? I mean, you got to be really thoughtful about how you make bets and how you monitor them and the trail you follow because you might have to alter course. (coughs) I mean, (coughs) that New England Thanksgiving (laughs) <laughs> example felt very personal so i feel Sorry. like i know he's he knows exactly what he's talking about I'll, I'll tell you something funny so of all these uh, cobts we've done uh you know it's like two and a half years and sometimes the issues are you know they're kind of nerdy or thick uh, we got some great feedback once which is we did a show on people working on thanksgiving day and so th- like yeah it was one year i think the halliburton uh, head of uh, the Permian, uh, you know, zoomed in, and there were a thousand people working on Thanksgiving Day for Halliburton throughout the Permian. And there was a person who didn't know energy, but who said to us, "You know, that was that was fantastic because I don't know CO two per barrel. I don't know, I don't know any of this stuff. I don't know the process by which you make solar solar panel, you know, et cetera, all this nerdy energy stuff. But I do understand a thousand people working right. on Thanksgiving Day, you know, in the field. Right. And so to make sure my house is warm. Yeah. Which which I think, you know, um, see right there, that point is the part that we re- that I get the most jazzed up about. Yeah. Is like I don't think we do a, gr- a good enough job explaining as an industry what oil and gas does for somebody. The, the actual benefit behind that molecule of energy. And I, I think they, uh, to take it a step further, and then this is probably why we all love energy, because uh, energy people, um, you know, it is a hard job, but it is an outdoor job. It's a job that involves engineering, you know, um, capabilities. And, you know, so it's, it has all these flavors, but one of the biggest flavors is it has these really great people. Mm-hmm. So when those people kind of get maligned, it, it's, I think we probably, I want to do my part. But want to defend them. Yep. Yeah, we've got to defend them. Yep. So Maynard, 
<clears throat> taking advantage of your wide and varied background. So a BA in Russian, correct? Correct. From, from Rice. Rice. Yep. Um, a public policy degree from Harvard. Yes. So Guilty. Russian and public policy. I threw in some econ at Rice just to kind of balance it out. There we go. So I could get a job. Yes. <laughs> but give us a take on Russia, Ukraine, and where this thing is going. I, I, I set the stage because you actually do think about these things. At the highest well, stage. Yeah. I guess what, um, what I'd say is, um, like, this one has, like, really, really worried me from, like, from the days when he was putting troops on the he border. Putin. Yeah. And um, and I think, um, so I'll just confess that. Um, I, uh, it is hard when your opponent uh, is, is willing to be, uh, is not going to play by the same rules mm -hmm. that you play by. Uh, so I, you know, that, that's just worrisome to go up against an opponent like that. Um, I think, it, to me, what, what I what I worry about besides the humanity of it all, is we need to find a way uh, to win uh, without doing a victory dance that makes it become something really bad. And I think that's something that Putin is very attuned to, and because uh, he's got to find a way to declare so off ramp. He's got to find an off ramp. He's got to declare victory. He's got to. I don't think he thinks of it in the same terms we do. We talk like politicians, like, you know, Putin is up for election and he's trying to win a poll. That's not what's happening. Uh, I think he would do uh, devastatingly, uh, he would make devastatingly poor choices uh, in his own uh, best interest. Um, so I just worry, how do we get out of this? And then one of the biggest worries I have about that is to, when you face down an opponent like that, who will who doesn't think the way you do and who doesn't recognize the same boundaries you do you have to be really unified and really determined and you got to really stick with it and you got to be prepared to go through some tough stuff and so what i worry about with europe is uh what they're about to go through from an energy standpoint is really scary um i don't Sometimes you hear things, you know, the Germans are going to, you know, continue the nuclear plants and, you know, you hear some positive things that are happening. And other times you hear things that make you really worried, like uh, they don't want to sign a long-term gas contract because, you know, da-da-da. Or uh, this field, um, Grunigan offshore, uh, Netherlands, like, as I understand it, that field could, could really ramp up and add some significant volumes, but we're not doing it because of some seismicity concerns. So it takes a mentality which is stronger than the one we're showing. Even the U.S., which is yes, it's our battle, or we're you know helping the Ukrainians, but you know we should be leading in the same way. I was thinking about the Biden speech. We can't be critical of the Europeans. Uh, for not turning on Grenigan if we're not willing to put some more rigs to work in some place, you know. So, so we should lead by example. we got to help them. Um, so I'm just worried about the opponent we're facing. I'm 
ha- you know, so happy for the Ukrainians that they have fought back and pushed back. And uh, I'm so sad for the Russian people because this is going to set them back 50 years in terms of integrating with the global economy. It's just a really sad thing for them, um, not to mention the, all the tragic loss of life. So it's a very unstable situation, and I feel like it should be top of the list every morning to get that situation under control because the other problem, I think, in all this is that once you have all these unstable situations, you have, you know, now we're kind of fighting with the Saudis in the press. You have the Ukrainian situation. You have the China situation. They're starting to add up. And the probability that you can make it through a year or 18 months or 24 months without something going yeah. really wrong, uh, it's getting lower. And so I just feel like as a, as a manager, that's a weird name to call of it, the president, world. as yeah. a manager, you have to shut down things that could could spiral into things that are really bad. Cool. And they could collide with other things. So the world needs more stability and thoughtfulness and less erratic, unpredictable behavior. And so uh, I just, I guess my big worry about it is the nature of the opponent and does everybody have it as job one to, we need to get the world back to normal because this is not a good situation. I saw on the news the other day, they were, they had the drone attacks in. Yeah, it's a perfect example. And I thought to myself, how can this still be happening? Like they're still trying to kill just pockets of people and we're nine, what, 10 months into it, I guess. Like there's no gain in killing those 10 or 15 people. I, I just couldn't believe it. Well, and it, it just shows, you know, that they're going to practice warfare. You know, when, he already kind of has a certain approach to things, unfortunately. And now that things aren't going well, you know, it, it could get worse. So I just, I think one thing I noticed is this kind of, uh, maybe this is, I'm dating myself, but if you grew up in the 70s, there's a handful of things you knew, even if you were 10 years old in the 70s. You knew the Soviets are bad guys, insert the word Russians, bad guys, I mean the government. You know, nuclear war is a serious, scary, awful thing. You know that whatever you do, you don't want to be dependent on the rest of the world for your energy. So you you knew 20 million barrels a day, even as a 10-year-old, because there was this thing called the Iranian hostage crisis. That's another thing you knew, is the Iranians, we really don't need to be debating this. These are not our friends. So, <laughs> and there, of course, there was an inflation and a stagnant uh, economy, and there was this uh, America is not a wonderful place attitude. And that casserole, if you grew up in that casserole of stuff, you know, like, we got to bag the part about America not being like, we, we got to stop it. We got to stop fighting in the huddle. We got to get our act together. This inflation thing, you just got to lean into it hard. The a security thing, like I don't think enough people are looking at Europe and going, ooh, that's bad. We can't be dependent on other people for our energy. You know, we need more of that awakening. We got to, I don't want to scare people, but I mean, you can't be messing around with nuclear kind of that that's that's that is existential like you know that's really scary and you've just you know american economic might is the is the key to all of this so 
deregulating, getting permits gone, you know, getting permits things. You've got to get the world going. So I don't know, the 70s, for those of us who grew up in it, it was a real dose to prepare us for today because a lot of these things we seem to, we need to relearn uh, that we learned as, uh, as kids. That is the challenge of history is doomed to repeat it. Um, from Russia, Ukraine, we're going to wrap things up before we I'm go so to the lightning round. so sad I've had such a good time. I know, yes. there's a lot to talk about. Before we get there, the Yellow Jeep Company. Oh, this is funny. What is the Yellow Jeep Company? Well. How do I get a Yellow Jeep? Well, it's a, um, my wife says, uh, how many sales? And I say, honey, you're thinking about it the wrong way. Our inventory just continues to go up in value. <laughs> But the, the Yellow Jeep Company, uh, when I was a kid, my, I was really young. My mom comes roaring down the driveway. I had this kind of nutty beauty queen, you know, funny mom. She comes running, rolling down the driveway in this old, terrible, beat-up red Jeep. And the thing was awesome. 1966 CJ5. We took it like the next day to the Jeep dealership, and she said, just fix it. Fix the whole thing. It's like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. The thing came back in three months, yellow, beautiful. And we went to, for ice cream in this thing. You know, you, no, no seat belts. I don't even think we had a back seat. I don't, definitely didn't have a roll bar. But anyway, so this thing was probably like my childhood hero. So ever since I've liked Jeeps. And then, you know, once you buy one, you buy a couple. And you, next thing you know, you buy a warehouse. And then the good news is about a warehouse is you can buy more Jeeps. So, um, but one day, we kind of fixed one up, you know, we tinkered with it. And we thought, you know, this could be Who a- Who is we? You and Me and Jesse. Okay. And Jesse, Jesse, and, Jesse and I have worked together for 20 years. So we thought, well, this could be a business. And um, so, you know, that led us to kind of purchase some more inventory. But then the, the history of the Yellow Jeep Company is that we decided that's what we'd call it. And our motto is we're going to make the world a better place by creating more yellow Jeeps. And if that doesn't work, we'll make red ones. <laughs> and so we got a logo, we got a homepage. Is this online? We got a, yeah, we got a lot of old the Jeeps. The yellow Jeep company? Yellow Jeep company. We've only sold one, which is- Literally uh, only sold only one. Only sold one. But you know, it takes a while to figure out the craft of fixing these things up. But last spring, my youngest goes to Strake Jesuit. We made a Strake Jesuit Jeep is this the big kid? That's he's a big kid. This is the that's big. the Texan. Yeah, and um, the other kids are like, "Hey, I'm plenty big." Um, but the uh, Strake Jesuit Jeep. Now it was probably under the influence, but it went for fifty-two thousand dollars at the auction. So, you know, I tell Jesse if anybody but asks, and, if, and, it's and like you, you bought it, right? No, it wasn't me. The only one that sold has been at auction for charity. Yeah, so that's you know, I can feel the I can feel the Jeep market tightening starting to every day. But yeah, it's a lot of fun, and and um, and so we make yellow jeeps. I That's like awesome. It. That's awesome. Wait, From, before we jump into this, can I? I want. I'd love to ask this question here too. The uh, the entrepreneur question. I, Dan has done all the research, as you can see. He's phenomenal. But any suggestions for entrepreneurs thinking about launching a new business? I'm I'm an entrepreneur. I love it. The the thought process that went through your head, just. Because you mentioned, you know, just that what one of the values of podcasts is time. Like, not everyone's going to get an hour with you, and I would just love to hear what's your thought process in that. Well, I, you know, I, I've had a lot of fun. This is why I've loved energy. 
so many energy companies because you meet so many great entrepreneurs. And so I guess um, what advice would I have? Uh, I guess I would say do it is the first advice. Whatever you're thinking of, do it. Um, what I notice is that when people are doing their own thing, they can do three times as much of it as when you're doing something that someone else is asking you to do. Just the passion pushes you. So yeah, if you if you have that passion idea, if you have that thing, I would say um, it, it, do it. It's, it's definitely the first thing. I think the second one is your um, the the people that you do it with are like um, they just have to share your passion. They don't have to share. They don't have to think like you. In fact, it's good if they don't. You know, you know, bring as many walks of life to it as you can, but make sure they share your passion. And the passion can't be, um, uh, we're going to make more money than anybody. That's not a passion. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, the passion has to be some sort of goal. It needs to be a ridiculous goal. Like, it can't be like, I'm going to have the seventh best Houston located, you know, whatever. It's got to be something outrageously large. Because only with a huge goal can you have some, can you have real passion, and then with your passion you can attract other people with passion, and it probably, my gut is it'll work, and even if it doesn't work, this is the great news about passion projects, even if it doesn't work, there'll be a part of you that says, man, that was fun, I'm so glad I did that. So if your downside is it didn't work, but I had a lot of fun, mm -hmm. and the upside is, oh my gosh, you know that that's a great gamble to take love it love That's it good <clears throat> now we're really going to get to the meat of this <laughs> actually this i gotta tell josh one last punchline do it when i uh when uh when i was gonna join dan and bobby i remember saying to kathleen your wife my wife she doesn't like the story as much as i do <laughs> That's but i said you know i don't know i could stay i could go I could stay, I could go. But I think if I work with Dan and Bobby, I, I think I'm gonna have more fun. And she said, and that's relevant because <laughs> <laughs> she'll dispute that. That it was. But I think, you know, having fun, we used to always talk about this at work. I would sometimes ask Dan, like, hey Dan, are you having fun? He's like, could you not ask me <laughs> stuff like this? But it really matters it's because- a great question. If people have fun, they, they don't take the call from the headhunter. They stay a little later. They help a little more. They think a little clearer. Everything goes better. And so fun, which no company will ever stand up and talk about with a straight face, but fun is really a weapon for creating a great culture that does awesome stuff. So that's my plug for fun. That's good advice. <laughs> and Pro, Dan Pickering. There's never, there's never a bad plug for fun. Okay, lightning round. Lightning. Maynard, the rules here are you only get a one-word answer and no explanation. I so feel like it is that congressional hearing I've been looking forward to. This is the congressional hearing. I can't explain my answer, though. Isn't uh, okay? Nope. Nope. The whole point is it's got to stand on its own, and it'll tell us something about you. Okay. So um, I will start uh, Rice or Harvard? Rice. The Ion or the Warehouse? The Ion. Cash or crypto? Cash. Can I say cash again? Can I say it twice? <laughs> <laughs> um, U.S. repercussions against Saudi in 2022. 
um, none. I'm praying. Like, leave it alone. Let's don't fight with our friends. Okay. Good one word answer there. Rice baseball <laughs> or the Houston Astros? Well, I'll go Astros. I mean, we're in their playoffs right now. Mm-hmm. Game today. Uh, Uber or Lyft? Lyft. I don't know what it is, but I'm a Lyft person. Really? Okay. Yeah. Maybe it's the logo. LNG or RNG? LNG. S&P 500 for the rest of 2022. Bullish or bearish? Bearish. Wind or solar? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, wind. Pizza or sushi? Sushi. Seinfeld or The Office? Mm. Yeah. This is really one. hard. Seinfeld. That's a good answer. That's a tough one, though. Will electric vehicle adoption be slowed by lack of battery, metals, or other raw materials? Yes, sir. Shawshank Redemption or The Godfather? Mm. I think I'll go Shawshank. Okay. You're, this is yours. You this is my question. Yeah. I always have to. This is my favorite. I thought you were going to give the results of my, uh, my personality test. Yeah. And therefore you are. Therefore, <laughs> it all comes down to this. Will the Houston Texans make the Super Bowl in the next decade? Does that mean 10 years or do I have to make it by 2030? Because I think it's going to be close. Answer as you wish. Will they make it in the next, by 2030? Yes. Woo, Maynard, you are I, in the you are in the. I think it's the second person that yeah, said that. Yeah, you're in the minority, so I, we love no, you. That's you're, impressive. You're invited back, but you, you know, you're be a recurring. But guest. you know what I think? <laughs> I think that by saying yes, I increase the chances that the Texans will go to the Super Bowl by like point oh oh one percent. The positivity. Yeah. I'm not saying that's why I did it. Comment. Yeah, but you know, just the sheer force of us talking about it will probably make it happen. I love it, Maynard Holt. Founder and CEO of Veriton, thank you very much. We find out more about Veriton at www.veriten.com. Yes, sir. Perfect. Josh requests permission to say one last thing. Absolutely. So I got to say something about this guy. Please. At every, I don't know when I started doing it, but it was pretty early on. But probably at every TPH town hall, I would refer to Dan as the secret sauce. If you remember... It was special sauce. Mm -hmm. If you remember, two all beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles on a sesame seed bun. Dan was our special sauce. And Pickering Energy Partners, what they did at the time, and I was joking about it before, but it was a cult. It was an amazing thing to say, we're just going to stick stuff in an email. We're going to have some humor on Friday. Uh, you know, it was an amazing thing. It made TSPH possible, which made much of my life so much fun and so rewarding so i don't like to be in any public forum with dan pickering without saying thank you dan pickering wow that's a great one that is that's very you nice. know bobby thank tudor you, was here as well and uh did you tear up when he gave a toast to dan it, it was it was because i see you tearing up right well now. again i'm a i'm a passion guy I like we passion. are we're passion guys and i like fun and you know it's been great getting to know dan on this podcast but i'm, I'm also an industry guy who came up in my career in Houston and I watched TPH grow and I saw what you guys were doing and what you what you did for the industry was great and it is it's amazing to kind of see the three of you do that and then kind of what you're doing now and the respect that each one of you has for each other now is it's really I mean it's it's almost a dream career and yet you're now giving back 
to the community and giving back to the industry and giving just it the, it just continues so it is i do i'm not tearing no, up but it is special no, to watch and i appreciate it well so, you're very nice thanks for your time on here you're very nice i thanks josh that was fun maynard that was fun yeah thank you to thank you, you both. Both. a lot of fun thanks yep. look us up on all our social media channels any questions give us a shout on uh, uprightdigital.com thank you very much great